feeds your people. Father, now as we uh, come uh, to our text this morning, God, we, we pray that you would do a work in us, Father. I pray that you would remind us of uh, the importance of the Word of God in our lives. And God, we pray that you would uh, help write your Word upon our hearts, that when we speak, uh, we speak words of life, not words of death. God, I pray that you would make us aware of how we are sinning against you by your Spirit, uh, Lord, in, in ways of our speech, whether we are committing sin in our gossip, our grumbling, our slander. God, I pray that you would just make it clear to us how we are using our mouth in a way that dishonors you. Oh God, I pray that you would uh, remake our mouths and remake our hearts, God, that we'd be people who are known by, 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 by speaking truth in love to our neighbor. God, that we are not known for corrupt talk, but God, we are known for building each other up for the glory of your name. So God, I pray that you'd bring conviction. And oh God, I pray that you'd bring comfort from your gospel. We thank you so much that we have a blood-bought salvation that does not depend upon our works, God, but merely shows it. So God, I pray that you, you would do something in our hearts this morning to remind us to fight the good fight of faith with our speech. Make your name great this morning. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would humble our hearts to be receptive to your holy word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four uh, Denver news reporters uh, sat at a local hotel bar. Al Stevens from the Port, Jack Turney from the Times, John Lewis from the Republican, Hale Wilshire from the Rocky Mountain News. They were looking for a story for the Sunday edition of their, their paper. They were near a train stop and hoping to see a celebrity to have something to say to uh, the people who would read the news. And they realized that no celebrity came. So they decided to, to create a little bit of their own fake news. It was 1899. And they believed that a local story, even though communication was, was, was quick, would, would, would be too obvious. So they decided to create a story that happened in China. Uh, they decided that they would say that a group of American engineers on their way to China were to bid on a job to demolish the Great Wall of China as a sign to international goodwill and to invite foreign trade. The headline read the next day, Great Chinese Wall Doomed. Peking Seeks World Trade. These four had no idea what would become of their story. Uh, they thought it would just go in the local paper and that would be the end of it. Well, a few Eastern papers caught on to it, and before you know it, it became national news. And not just national news, but international news. Uh, the news eventually reached China. And not just China, but a small secret society of the Chinese people. Patriots who were zealous to protect against foreign intervention and attacked the foreign embassies in Peking. And not only attacked embassies, but sought out and killed missionaries from foreign lands. Six nations had to send 12,000 troops to protect their own people who are in China. This story of fake news 
uh, helped spring the Boxer Rebellion. Four opportunistic, power-hungry journalists helped bring an era of death and decay. One little bit of fake news caused a lot of damage. You know, today, fake news is pretty common. (laughs) It's almost even more sinister today. We have no idea what to believe. We look on the news and uh, this is true, that's not true, half-truths, denials. Really has become an age where we just believe all truth is relative. Uh, We see we can't trust our media outlets to speak the truth. We can't trust our our politicians to speak the truth. Therefore, we can't expect our pastors and our religious leaders to speak the truth. Our nation has a hard understanding between what is truth and what is fiction. We live in a very skeptical age when it comes to truth. And the sad thing is, is as a church, we have great news. We have great news to share. We have the best news in the world to share. And sadly, many look at Christianity as just another bit of fake news because of how we handle our speech. So this morning, as you have read the text, it's, it's pretty obvious. We are going to be dealing with the topic of the tongue and our, and our speech. How should our speech reflect us as Christians? If you want to follow along in the outline provide you for, provided for you, there's four things I want to bring out from uh, this text this morning. Uh, the first is the power of the teacher's tongue. The power of the teacher's tongue. James begins this section, says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For we know that you, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, the early church had a lot of issues with, with teachers. As we said before, that, that feeling of let's get back to the early church, well, we're, we're, already, kind of, we're already kind of there. <laughs> the early church had a lot of issues when it came to teachers. Uh, we, we see from Philippians chapter 1 that, that there's often teachers who taught with impure motives. They were after reputation or influence or, or money. Teachers taught things that harmed people's faith. We see that's one of the reasons why God chose Titus to establish elders in, in Crete. Because there were certain people there who were, who were speaking uh, heresy and harming people's faith. There was other people who thought that you, you could be saved by your works. That yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but it's not only believing in Jesus that saves you. You have to believe in Jesus and you have to do all these works, the, the, the Judaizers. There was heresy in, in Ephesus, the Gnostic heresy. There was heresy in Colossae. Teachers denied Christ not only with their doctrine in the early church, but they also denied with their lives. If you want a, a stinging rebuke from an apostle towards the church, read 2 Peter chapter 2. Read the last half and you'll just find yourself cringing of what was happening with their leaders. They lived in sexual immorality. They did not protect their sheep, but they protected them themselves. So when we look at the, how, the, how the early church was dealing with, with teachers, we have to ask ourselves today, has anything changed? When we look at the, the church of America today, has anything changed? Well, we still see people preach with impure motives. People after money or power or for their very self. We see people not teaching the whole truth. We have the obvious, those folks who, who preach the prosperity gospel. 
But we have regular, mainstream, evangelical Christians who deny that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuke, and correction so that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. We have churches that, that, that preach gospel light sermons, grace without repentance, grace without sanctification. And we see teachers denying Christ with immoral living. Just read the headlines. So James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. He's cautioning right off the bat to those who are going to teach because it is a weighty task. He says you are going to be judged with greater strictness. You're going to be judged by by God and you're going to be judged by the people of, of God. You know, our interns this past week, uh, I make them memorize Scripture every week, and the first thing we do when we have our gathering is that, all right, memorize. After we pray, we say, okay, give me the Scripture that you memorized this week. And our Scripture that we memorized this past week was, was 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, 1 through 4. And it begins this way. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, will judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, correct, exhort, and com- with complete patience and teaching. It's a weighty, weighty text. It, it has helped me so much. Why? It's because oftentimes when you get in a pulpit, you, you kind of have this, this fear of man that you're worried about what will the people there think of me, how they receive me. But y'all, that verse tells me that my main audience is not you. My main audience is the Father and the Son who are going to judge my teaching. And how I teach you, I will, I will one day stand before Him and I will be held accountable. What I taught you, that is a weighty task. And it's not just me. Many of you think, well, hey, it's just, that, that's our pastor who's going to, to be preaching the Word or teaching the Word in front of the, of the congregation. And, and by God's grace, He's giving me that opportunity. But there's many of you who are doing the same thing every single week on Wednesday night, in Sunday school. On Sunday night, you're shepherding these young hearts and minds. As I was preparing this morning, um, I just, I, I was moved to tears. Um, thinking about what, God has, has done um, in this church for my family. There's a, there's a scripture verse, Hebrews 13, 7 through 9, which says this. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not let be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So we are called to look to our leaders, in many ways look to our teachers, those who teach the Word of God to you and imitate their way of life. And as I was thinking this morning about my own calling, the calling of our elders to imitate the life of faith to our congregation, I just became overwhelmed with gratitude for those of you who teach our kids. Those who shepherd the young hearts and minds, my children are imitating your faith. I know it's a weighty task, right? It's a weighty task to think that, 
that, that, that people are going to live their life because of what we taught them. But beloved, that is also a glorious thing. And I had to, to see it in my own home. You see, my children, my Johnny and my Elizabeth and my Olivia, become more like Christ because of the influence of you in pouring your life into them. Can I just say thank you? And not just for me, but by behalf of all of those kids and parents that you teach. Thank you. If you haven't experienced that kind of teaching, come to Wednesday night. Come bring your kids to Sunday school. God is doing a wonderful work. Now, it does say not many of you teach, but it should say some. Some of you should teach. If you are going to teach, and I pray that many of you would, but you would do it with the right motives. You would do it for the glory of God. That when you handle your Sunday school lesson, when you, when you teach a, a class, a, a song, you're doing it for the glory of God. But you're also doing it with the, with the right message. You're doing it with the gospel of God. We don't just share anything. We share the, the blessed news, the great news of, of salvation in Christ. That if you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus as your Savior, you are forgiven. He died and rose again for you. That's the message which you teach. Which is, which is why we do it with the right mission. Why we teach is to help reconcile man with God and to each other for his glory. Consider the great privilege you have of teaching God's word to others. And yet, do so with caution. Because you will be judged with a greater strictness. Because you're, the ones you teach will become like you. That could be a really, really good thing or sometimes a really, really scary thing. But that's the way God has chosen to build his church. The second thing we see here is the the boast of the tiny tongue. The boast of the tiny tongue. Uh, James goes on and he kind of makes the change from speaking to teachers, really kind of broadening it to the whole entire church. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. The reason why we should be careful when we teach is because we all are going to stumble. This is something that is going to happen to all. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The reason why we have to be cautious is because we all stumble. There's that for, there's that connecting clause. It's purpose that we we should be careful for because we all stumble in many ways. Friends, we all have said something we have regretted. We have all said, had not said something that we regretted not saying. You know, James gives us those two pictures and they're really just kind of very, very clear pictures. Is that a horse is a beautiful animal. Have you ever seen the, the, the muscles of a horse, the strength? They're just a, a picture of power and elegance. And you could take this large animal and direct them as you will with a bit. The same thing with a ship. You could take a giant ship, right? You could take an aircraft carrier or a, a, a cruise liner, and you could take that giant ship and move it with a small rudder. So something, that, something that's so small, like our, our tongue, can, can has, makes a great boast because it directs the whole course of our lives. 
And beloved, this is not unique to Christianity. This is kind of unique to common sense. <laughs> and everybody kind of has a, a spirit of common grace. Most people, I should say everybody, because y'all, not everybody has common sense, right? But uh, this is kind of a universal thing that happens throughout our world. Uh, so listen to this uh, poem. The boneless tongue, so small and weak, can crush and kill, declares the Greek. The tongue destroys a greater horde, the Turk asserts, than does the sword. The Persian proverb wisely saith, a lengthy tongue and earthly death, or sometimes takes this form instead. Do not let your tongue cut off your head. The tongue can speak a word with whose speed, say the Chinese, outstrips the steed. The Arab sages said in part, the tongue, tongue's great storehouse is in the heart. From Hebrew was the maxim sprung, they, thy feet should slip, but ne'er the tongue. The sacred writer crowns the whole, who keeps the tongue doth keeps his soul. Really all James is doing is making a connection here. He's saying, listen, you've got to pay attention to your tongue because your tongue is making great boasts and it's going to direct your entire body. And he kind of goes on in the next point, number three, the pervasiveness of the treacherous tongue, the per- pervasiveness of this treacherous tongue. We can kind of see how, how he continues in, in the second half of verse five. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Again, this, this same imagery, something small that, that produces great destruction. You know, fires start with a small spark, and they can bring great destruction. He turns and he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now, the word world there is, is when we look at James, he uses the same word in James 1.27 and in James 4.4. And in both places, uh, sometimes when you see the world in the Scriptures, the world is the physical earth, okay? It's the physical world we live in. Most often in the New Testament anyway, it's the, it's the worldly system and ways that are, are set up against God. It's the evil that we see in, in the world. And James is saying here, the tongue brings about or shows the, the results of fallen, the fallen world. So the tongue contains the, the sins of fallen humanity. And really, you know, we, we see this in the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus says that, It's not what goes in a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man. What comes out of a man, but evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. It's what comes out of our mouth that reveals what's in our our hearts. Calvin would be known for saying, "A a slender portion of flesh contains the whole world of iniquity. Beloved, no other member of our bodies wreaks more havoc on the Christian life than our tongues, than our speech. We can see it in the Proverbs. If you, some of you may read a proverb a day. Um, Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. It speaks of lies. So Proverbs 22.22, 22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A lying tongue hates his victims, and a flattering mouth works ruined. Proverbs 26, 28. Oftentimes we think that flattery is not a big deal. 
And this is the thing that I want you to get across, is when we talk about the sins of the tongue, those are the things that we often don't address. That there is big problems in the life of our church, we're probably going to deal with those things right away. But gossip, slander, criticism, or grumbling, we're just kind of going to, okay, we're not going to say anything against those things. But gossip, slander, and grumbling can destroy a church. And they can destroy people. You know that when you think back at your life, some of you are not who you... Some of you have a hard time believing who God has declared you to be because of influences in your past. People have said certain things to you and you have taken those things and you have adopted them as your identity rather than adopting the word that God has spoken over you. Words are very important. So we see gossip in Proverbs 25. Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret. Whoever goes about slanding reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You know, one of the reasons why I had uh, Keith read all of Numbers 14, that was a long chapter, right? And you're, some of you who are visitors are like, man, that was long, right? I get it, right? Some of you are members like, man, why is he doing that to us? I got a friend here who's visiting for the first time. Don't do that again. But here's why, okay? I wanted you to see the whole progression of grumbling. We see people grumbling against the Lord, grumbling against the leaders of the Lord, and you see God's reaction, and you see the destruction that comes upon them for grumbling. People think when they grumble, they're really attacking the person they're grumbling. Really, you're attacking God and yourself. Because when you grumble, it's going to be brought back upon you by the mighty hand of the Lord. And I wanted you to see that in, in, in Numbers 14. So children, if you're a child, look at me. Make sure you're paying attention. Okay? You got, I got your eyes? God does not like grumbling. Okay? So here's one of the ways that you may not realize that you're grumbling is when your mom and dad ask you to do something and you roll your eyes or you kind of stomp your feet and pout. That's grumbling. And if you want to be a Christian, if you want to live for the Lord, you don't want to do that. Because that does not reflect who God made you to be. God made you someone who wants to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's not a a chore to obey. It is a gift of God's Holy Spirit. So every time your parents ask you to do something, when you're tempted to grumble or complain or roll your eyes, remember that that is not becoming of the Christian life. And I would say the same to you adults, okay? Amen. But that, look what it says. It says this world of unrighteousness that, that reveals the sinful attitude of this fallen world. It says the tongue is set among our members. Second half of verse 6. Staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It says for every kind of beast of the bird and, and reptile and sea creature could be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What James is trying to get at is saying, listen, your your tongue reveals what's in your heart, and you can't tame your heart. Because your heart is dead in your trespasses and sins. We all have stumbled in many ways, the text says. Now, we may want to say, well, we're all really not that bad. I don't use my words that bad. Well, listen, 
The Bible says that you cannot tame your tongue because your heart is set against God. This is one of the most most basic things of the Christian uh, worldview. So if you are a non-Christian, one of the things that we would believe as Christians is that the Bible says that we're all sinners, that we've all done wrong. Okay, it's kind of like the, the basis of where we start. So we would believe that the core of who we are is not goodness, but actually sin. It's a heart of pride that sets itself up against God at the core of who we are. Now, most Christians in America don't actually believe that because most Christians in America don't actually read their Bibles. But we know that even there was a study just came out this past week, the State of Theology by Ligonier Ministries. It says this. Every, this is the quote. It was agree or disagree. The, 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 line, the statement was, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 52% of evangelicals agree with that. 52% of evangelicals are wrong. We don't know what the Bible teaches. And if we don't believe that we are sinners, then why would we go to a Savior? If we think we can, we just have a little sin that we can overcome with, with our habit changing and, and doing different things, you know, well, then, then we're going to be okay. Well, no, the Bible says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are actually set on fire by, by the very nature of hell. That's what's inside of us. It, it's this pride that sets itself up against God. We cannot tame it ourselves. And every time we try, we fail. <laughs> but beloved, God in his kindness knew that. So he sent forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, this, this reminds us that we need the gospel. Look at what 1 Peter 2, 21-25 says. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Think about his speech. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but, when, but it continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You can't fix your sin. You can't fix the sharpness that you speak to your spouse, how you lose your temper with your children, your coarse joking, You can't change that in and of yourselves. You need God in heaven to send forth His Holy Spirit to remake your heart, to give you the strength and the power to overcome that sin. You need to repent. Some of you need to today, before you leave this place, during our last song, or even at the uh, down front after this sermon, is to repent from God for how you use your speech. Whether you are constantly critical, a grumbler, or angry. You need to repent of that. And you need a deep clean. Sometimes we need a deep clean. And I was so convicted this week. I was, I was talking to someone and I, I heard myself. You know, sometimes you don't hear yourself speak. You're kind of, you just kind of talk, you don't realize it. But sometimes you kind of hear yourself speak. You're like, whoa, why in the world am I saying that? And it was slander. It was just slander coming out of my mouth. 
And I, I heard it this time. Whoa, you can't say that. But it sounded not slanderous. You know what that means? If you have that feeling, sometimes you speak, it doesn't sound slanderous, but sometimes God just shows you, yeah, it really is. And I need to repent. I need to turn from my sins and run to Christ. Maybe you need to take a deep clean of your own, of how you use your speech. Ask family and friends and ask them to tell you, is there any sin of the speech in my mouth? I remember early on in our dating relationship with my, with my wife, maybe we were married maybe a year, I read a book called um, The Exemplary Husband and, uh, by Lou Priolo, or The Complete Husband by Lou Priolo. And in the back, there's an index on biblical forms of speech. And I thought, man, I'm a good communicator. I, I speak well with my wife. And as I read the list, I was breaking biblical command after biblical command and didn't even realize it, right? You never appreciate me. That's wrong, right? Of course she appreciates me, right? You always do this. Again, wrong, right? There's this, there's this, there's this there's sinfulness in our hearts. Why? It's because we can't tame the tongue. We need God to tame it for us. So how does he tame it? He tames us by his word by hearing it, by resting in it, by rejoicing in it, by singing it, so that we can take our tongue and and change it bit by bit. Lastly, last point. We see the revelation of the true tongue, the revelation of the true tongue. Uh, One of the the, the marks of, of the book of James is whether you have a saving faith. Do you have a faith that saves? Or in, in James's language, do you have pure religion? Remember that a couple weeks ago in James chapter 1, the verse we always talk about when we think about caring for, the, for widows and, and orphans? Right before that, it says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person, religion is, is worthless. So how you speak determines whether you have pure religion. Now, when I say how you speak, I also mean how you tweet and how you comment on Yelp for the service you had at the restaurant. You know, as a pastor, I have sometimes wanted to give a scathing online rebuke for for bad service. But you know why I don't? Is because every word that I say is going to be reflected on Christ. Now, I know that as a pastor, people judge that, right? People know that I'm a pastor, so they're going to be on, on me. But beloved, you're a Christian. You represent Jesus Christ. So before you hit enter, think about what you're going to say and how is it going to reflect upon Christ? Because how you tweet and how you speak reveals what's really inside your heart. That's exactly what James is saying here at the end. Look at verse 9. He says, With this tongue we bless our Lord and Father and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Just, just rest on that for a second. With it we bless our Lord and Father And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. They are made in the image of God. And every time we slander and malign people, what we're doing is we're defaming the image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is James' way of saying you judge a tree by its fruit. 
A good tree has good fruit. A bad tree has bad fruit. So if you are, are, are wondering whether you are a believer, whether you have pure religion, whether you are a Christian and are going to be saved on the last day, one of the marks is to look at your speech. How you handle the tongue. Because you can't tame it. And yet, it needs to be tamed. But there's only one who can tame it. That is the Holy Spirit of God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The, the Holy Spirit of God through... That was wrong. That was heresy, right? Sometimes you get excited as a pastor and you speak heresy. So let me just rephrase that, okay? The only way we can tame our, 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 our tongue is to tame our heart. And the way that happens is when the Father, through the Spirit, opens our eyes to who Jesus Christ is, to believe that he died and that he rose again for us. And when we believe that Jesus Christ died for us and rose for us, and he took all our many sins, all our our gossip, our slander, our, our greed, our immorality. He took all that on the cross. All of it. He paid for all of it. Died and rose again and ascended into heaven and sends His Holy Spirit. When we believe that, y'all, we change. Not overnight, but we have a new desire in our heart to speak words that are, that are true. Sinclair Ferguson says, as, as temptation often comes in via the eyes, sin easily exits through the mouth. What does your speech reveal about you? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25, uh, Paul is trying to encourage the church to live differently. And he says this in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but lab- rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, I think this is key, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What Paul says is if you want to live differently, think about the gospel. Think about Christ. Think about how all your many sins are forgiven in the cross and have that be the, the turning point, the hinge that, that drives you to live and speak differently. Now, I have some, some gold nuggets here right at the end okay, of the sermon okay, because I think that this chapter 3 is, is often uh, overlooked when we think about the whole message of James. If we look at the book of James from chapter 1 to chapter 5, what you're going to find is how often James says, if you want to show that you have true faith, it's, it's shown in how you speak. Okay? So I'm going to post these online later, but I want to just give you a sample okay, of how these are, this, this idea of speech is kind of woven through the entire book of James. Uh, I got this from Sinclair Ferguson, and he has, uh, it's kind of, Edwardsian, right? The Puritan style of resolve. Resolve to do this in light of what James is telling us to do by his spirit. So he says, resolved, 
that we should ask God for wisdom to speak and to do it with a single mind. James chapter 1, if we lack wisdom, we should ask God. Number two, we should boast only in the exaltation of Christ and our humiliation in this world. James 1.9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humility. Number four, be constantly quick to hear and slow to speak. Know this, my beloved brothers, be slow to speak or quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to be angry. Learn how the gospel, the gospel way of speaking to the poor and to the rich. James chapter 2, 1 through 4. Speak in the, the consciousness of the final judgment. And I think this is gold. Could you imagine if every time you uttered a word, you thought about the final judgment? How is this going to be received on that day when I stand before God? That's exactly what James says in, in James chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Number eight, resolve to claim a reality that I do not experience. James 3.14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Number 10, be be resolved to never speak evil of one another. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another. 12, to always speak as one who is subject to the province of God. Instead, you ought to say, if God wills it, we live and we do this or that. 13, to never grumble, knowing that the judge is at the door. James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may be not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's gold because what it says is that James is trying to show you how much you reveal your Christian life through your speech. Now, I think in America, we want to be able to say, I'm a Christian. You can't say I'm not. What the Bible says is that look at your speech and that will reveal whether you truly love Christ. Beloved, many of us are deceived. We cannot tame the tongue. But thanks be to God, it can be tamed and changed and sanctified by His grace. So I pray as the people of Park Baptist Church that we would be a people of grace a people of gospel-speaking grace. And I pray if you're here and you kind of looked at your own heart and realized, hey, listen, my heart is not tamed. My tongue is not tamed. I, 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 there's a lot of things, evidence in my life that, that need to be changed. I pray that you would repent, that you would turn away from, from trusting in yourselves and you would turn to Christ and you will find a ready and willing Savior. And friend, my Christian brother and sister, if you have been convicted of sin in your own life, in your speech, I pray that you would be one who also repents. As we said already today, if you confess your sin to God, He is faithful and just. He will forgive you of your sins, and He will cleanse you. He will cleanse you. He will cleanse you. He will cleanse you of the world of unrighteousness that is the tongue. Father, we thank you that you are our God and that we can submit to you. Father, I pray that you would tame our tongues, that we would be a people of pure speech and that we would have a pure religion. 
showing that we have been saved by the gospel of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song.